Welcome to Changeboard's Future Talent Podcast, our series of exclusive interviews with senior business leaders and thinkers to uncover their perspectives on the changing world of work. I'm Tom Ritchie, Junior Digital Editor at Changeboard. Today, I'm joined by Jeff McDonald, the former Global Vice President of HR at Unilever and a mental health campaigner. Jeff worked for Unilever for over 25 years before leaving his position to become a champion of healthy workplaces. In January 2008, Jeff experienced a panic attack that led him to being diagnosed as having anxiety-fueled depression. In this podcast, I speak to Jeff about his own experiences of mental ill health, how we can address stigma in business, and the practical steps you can take to help support your employees' well-being. Hi Jeff, thanks so much for joining us uh, on this Future Talent podcast. Um, I'd just like to start with your, uh, your own story um, in regards to mental health. Your work as a mental health campaigner has been influenced by your own experiences. So yeah, if we could just start with your own, with your own story of your experiences with mental health. Yeah, Tom, thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to talk uh, about this. Yeah, so, so look, my story is a story which, is, which, which kind of, I suppose, um, shows the power of being able to talk about mental ill health. Mm. Um, and my story goes back to sort of 2008 when I got very, very ill with anxiety-fueled depression. Uh, I had a relapse in 2010. Um, but what kept me alive during those periods was my ability to talk about my illness. Because what I got in response when I spoke to people about my illness was I got tremendous support. But more importantly, I experienced unbelievable sense of love. You know, how much I was loved by so many people. And I suppose during some of those very dark days, knowing that I was loved by so many people is what kept me alive. Mm. And had I not been able to talk about my illness, and experience that love, I might not be here today. And then in October of 2012, a very good friend of mine took his own life. And I lay in bed that night and I kind of thought to myself, what's the difference between me and him? And the difference was my ability to talk about my illness and him not being able to talk about his illness. Uh, and that, you know, that then led him to take his own life. And I, and I kind of thought to myself, stigma has just killed my friend. Mm. You know, um, and that's not fair. It just can't be fair. Uh, and that sort of, that, that led me to a kind of a sense of purpose that I have right now, which is, you know, I just want to create workplaces all over the world where people feel that they genuinely have the choice um, to put their hand up and ask for help if they're suffering from a mental illness. Because we know that in every single workplace, everywhere in the world, if someone's suffering from a physical illness, they'll put their hand up and ask for help and support. Of course, so yeah. why not? If it's a mental illness, particularly in the 21st century, mm. you know, when we've got artificial intelligence, we put people on the moon, we're putting, we're putting motor cars into the space now, yeah. you know, yet we can't talk about our mental ill health in the workplace. Mm. And so I suppose it was his, his loss, my realization of the power stigma had, which really spurred me uh, to go out and to begin to advocate, campaign, to normalizing mental ill health in workplaces. And that uh, issue of stigma is one that um, is, a, and that story is one that uh, I can really relate to. I lost a friend um, about three years ago um, to suicide as well, um, and it it kind of made me think um, about stigma in a different way. You know, this is someone who I was very very close to who couldn't verbalize it to me or any of our other close friends, um, but 
I take inspiration from the fact that you were able to use that as a launching pad for what you do. So could you just talk about that a little bit more? How the death of your friend in 2012 yeah. kind of helped you to um, carry on with this purpose? Yeah, you know, that night, I mean, I didn't know where to start because, mm. of, co of course, I felt a sense of injustice that that stigma had had, a, had killed my friend. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm a South African living in the UK. My network is a bunch of South Africans. Uh, my other network is inside Unilever. So how was I going to have any impact? But at the time, um, a guy by the name of Alistair Campbell was doing a lot of advocacy and campaigning work. Um, and, you know, Alistair's a very high-profile individual in the UK, and he was, he was campaigning and advocating in this area. And so that night I thought to myself, you know what, I'm just, I've got nothing to lose. I'm just going to send him an email. Mm. Because if I can meet with him, he might, he might then be able to open all sorts of doors, introduce me to the right people, which will get me onto this path of campaigning and advocating. And so I went onto his website, I found an email, I sent it to him. Within 10 minutes, he'd responded. A week later, we met up in Belsize Park. And ever since that day, he did exactly that. You know, he opened doors, he connected me to people, which then gave me that, that sort of jump start, as it were. I mean, it gave me a bit of a path to follow to begin to advocate and campaign. So had I not sent that email, yeah, maybe I, maybe I would never have got onto this path. Mm. Um, but it was his inspiration and his support which allowed me to begin to do what I, what I continue to do today. And that openness, that willing to talk about... Um, um, so in your role at Unilever, you were the global VP of, of HR. Um, and obviously that's a very high leadership role within the business. Um, and you would be expected to kind of be the first port of call for someone within the business who might be experiencing um, an issue with their mental health. Uh, so how did it feel to kind of, when you did open yourself up to the business at large, how did that feel to kind of lean on other people in the, in, in, in the company? Yeah, it's an interesting concept that you've raised. You know, I call it a double stigma. Yeah. Um, so, you know, often if you look in the NHS, mm. nurses... You know, there they are supposed to be caring for everybody. Uh, the stigma around mental ill health is even stronger because there's kind of this double stigma. You're the carer, so, you know, how could you ever be suffering from mm. an illness? Um, and so, I mean, you know what? I mean, when I opened up about my illness, uh, the, the, the love and the support that I got, um, people feeling how courageous I was that I was able to talk about my illness, uh, in fact, it, it kind of, I didn't feel a sense of weakness. I, I felt a sense of courage mm. that I was able to do this. And because I had this lived experience, um, I therefore was able to provide a huge amount of support, encouragement, advice, and guidance to people who then might have wanted to lean on me, mm. you know, as you described. Yeah. And uh, could you give some um, examples of uh, some of the initiatives that you would have launched at Unilever during your time there? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, again, Tom, it, you know, this isn't something that just kind of came out of the blue that we, we decided we we're going to launch a, an, an approach to addressing the stigma of mental ill health in Unilever. I mean, I was lucky in, in that um, in the first instance, you know, at a strategic level within the organization, you know, we were all about a company that was wanting to improve the health and the well-being of a billion people through our brands. Mm. You know, it was part of our purpose um, as an organization. Um, and so, 
you know, I was also, there was a guy by the name of Tim Munden who was the head of HR in the UK at the time. And he was a huge advocate and supporter and wanting to do something in the area of, of, of mental health within Unilever. And so we had this, you know, we almost had this, um, this hook where we, could, where we could go to the senior leaders in the organization and say, look, you know, we're talking about improving the health and well-being of a billion people in the world. Well, we've got some data to show that we are, we've got some major issues within our own organization mm. and their well-being. And, you know, charity starts at home. So if we want to do that, we better make sure we're looking after the well-being of our own people. Um, and, you know, that, um, that together with uh, using somebody like Alistair Campbell to come in and do a talk in the organization, which then, which then um, catalyzed and provoked a lot of conversation around mental ill health, um, together with the data, together with the strategic imperative, uh, was the launch pad. It was, it was the kind of... It, it, it allowed us to then say, okay, let's now begin to address the stigma of mental ill health mm. within Unilever. And as a, as a general um, kind of overview of UK business as a whole, um, when we're talking about stigma, you know, like one in four people of working age in the UK will experience an, uh, an issue with their mental health at some point in their lifetime. Why, does, why is this stigma still so prevalent in certain organisations? And... Is it worse when you get to the top levels of business? The first thing that I would say is, um, and Alistair Campbell says this all the time, um, it's one in one people who suffer from mental ill health. Yeah. We all have, we're all mental and we're all physical. Mm. So it's not one in four. You know, all of us wake up some days feeling very anxious and then we're okay the next day. Yeah. Um, so we all suffer a different and milder and more extreme forms. And yes, maybe the extreme form, you know, of being clinically depressed or general anxiety disorder, uh, yes, maybe that is one in four. But, you know, I think we need, to, we need to recognize that we're all mental and we're all physical and we all get ill. Uh, it just varies in terms of, of how ill we get. So coming back to why there is, uh, why there is stigma, um, you know, look, I think that there are a couple of things here. So the first is, I just think it's a lack of education. You know, people just, people don't know. I mean, I, I never knew what depression was when I got ill. Mm. I mean, I'd never heard of general anxiety disorder. I didn't know what the symptoms were. Um, and so I think the stigma is driven by a significant lack of education and understanding. Um, and, you know, as we begin to understand the brain more and we understand all these things, you know, I think that slowly as we educate people more in this particular area, I think we begin to see less stigma. I also think that, um, you know, I, I think it, it, it does get more difficult to talk about your mental ill health uh, the more senior you become in organizations. Mm. Because, first of all, you know, those sort of people who are really senior you know, they're supposed to be uh, tough and macho and, you know, they've made it. And so therefore, you know, to, to be suffering from uh, depression or anxiety is kind of a real chink in the armor. Um, and also, I think that there's, there is still a perception out there that that particular individual then might be a risk to the organization mm. and to the ability of the organization to perform. Um, and so I think, I think that there, you know, I think as we educate people more, 
and also, I think the other thing that we have to start doing to break the stigma is we've got to shift the narrative around mental health. Mm. Do you know what I mean? That the narrative around mental health is so negative. You know, even when I use the word mental health, people immediately go to the negative. They go yeah. to depression, anxiety, bipolar. But when I use the word physical health, you don't immediately go to cancer, diabetes. You talk about diet, exercise. Yeah, yeah. you talk about positive mm. things around physical health. But when I say mental health, people immediately go to the negative. Or you walk into a Nike store, and there on the walls are chiseled whippets, the most beautiful-looking bodies. Yeah. And you feel inspired to do something so that your body can look like that, so you go and do a bit of the exercise. When it comes to mental health, there's nothing inspirational or aspirational around maintaining your mental health. Mm. You know, the images are also negative, black and white photographs. And so I think we've got to shift the narrative where we begin to see mental health, mental fitness, as a, as a real positive and a competitive advantage. Mm. You know, in a world and in a commercial environment where knowledge and the use of our minds and cognitive health is, is, is a competitive advantage today. Um, so, so I think there's an education piece uh, that needs to be addressed mm. right across organizations, just like we've done with safety and how we've created more so that, so that we begin to break the stigma. And then I think there's a whole piece around the narrative, shifting the narrative and making it more positive. And where does the, um, where does the buck stop for the education um, surrounding uh, mental health? Is it something that you think should be implemented from as early an age as, po as possible and then continues all the way through into the workplace? Is it a whole yeah. systemic change that needs to happen? Absolutely. You know, so I think, the I think we've got to see it in schools, starting in primary schools, you know, continuing the education through into secondary. Um, and, you know, I, I, and I think then we would have less of an issue of educating uh, in corporates. Yeah. You know, but because we've all missed the primary and secondary education around mental health, we're now having to invest big time in trying to create a, an create a, a basic appreciation around things like what is depression, what is anxiety, what is stress, what mm. are the symptoms to look out for. But imagine if we'd been taught about all of that stuff in primary school and secondary school, I also think that there would be less stigma. And so organizations yeah. would, would not have this need to begin to educate. But in the absence of that, you know, we've done it with safety. Mm. You can't go into any company and join any company without having without going on some kind of safety course or getting some kind of basic appreciation around safety mm. because it's so important that we create safe workplaces. But the time's come for us to create healthy workplaces. Yeah. You know, and so therefore why, as part of your induction into a company, you know, one of the first things that uh, should be part of that induction, along with the safety induction, is a health induction and let's talk about mental health. Mm. In a, you know, and let's give it the focus because we've done a bit on physical. And we call it health and safety. Yeah. Yet we've invested all our time, all our energy in safety. The millions and billions that have been invested has all gone to safety. Mm. What about investing some of it in health? Yeah. And uh, just to kind of get some really practical points on that, what would you, uh, what would you suggest in an infrastructure kind of, uh, kind of guys, I guess, for a leader who's looking to improve the well-being of their employees in the workplace? You know, Tom, that's a really, really good question. Um, I think the first thing that I've got to say is that, is that our well-being is driven by four factors. 
And I think we've got to look at well-being in a much more holistic way. Mm. You know, so it's not good enough just to look after your physical well-being. Um, we need to look after our physical well-being. We need to look after our emotional well-being. We need to look after our mental well-being. And we need to think about having a sense of purpose and meaning in our mm. lives. Right? And we've got to address all of those things. Now, um, in order to address the mental well-being aspect of well-being, we've got to address the stigma. And in order to do address the stigma, organizations and corporates out there have got to start investing in the education piece, in shifting the narrative, getting people to talk openly in their organizations and become role models and become the Usain Bolts mm. uh, of mental health. Yeah. Um, and we've got to make sure that we've got resources in place that people can draw on to enhance their mental health or if they get ill, you know, know where to go and where to get support. Okay, so that's, that, that is absolutely essential and a kind of prerequisite. Um, but in order for well-being to be of strategic importance to an organization, because in a lot of the companies that I consult to today, mm. where I'm advocating and campaigning, well-being is still a tick box exercise. Yeah. It is still, I see it as companies kind of saying, oh, well, you know, we look after the well-being of our people uh, because we have apples in the canteen and we give people um, discounts to gym membership and we run a well-being week once a year. Mm. That's not good enough for me. I mean, it's not sticking. And I think the reason that it's not sticking is there are two reasons. Um, and that is, I don't think that we have, in organizations, seen the importance of energy as a driver of performance. So we've spent years focusing on skills, knowledge, and behaviors. But for me, energy is the most important driver mm. of performance. When somebody is energized, passionate, it can be an extroverted energy or an introverted energy. But when they've got capacity, energy, and passion, they perform like you won't believe. And I think we should now start to build that into our performance, into the infrastructure. Mm. So in our performance management conversations with people, we should be having conversations about people's energy. And we can do it now because we know what gives people energy. It's their well-being. Those four aspects that I spoke about, yeah. physical, emotional, mental, and purpose. We can also measure it now. So now we can measure people's energy. And imagine now having development conversations with people about their energy, about their emotional health, about their mental health. And your point about building it into the infrastructure, that's what's going to happen now. Mm. And so the infrastructure I would like to see this built into is into our performance management infrastructure. You know, it's about the ethos in this organization. We recognize energy as important, if not more important, than knowledge, skills, behaviors. And so therefore, we are going to hold people accountable for their energy. We as an organization are going to put the resources and the infrastructure in place to enhance people's energy. Because you can't hold somebody accountable for their energy if you aren't, as an organization, creating the right environment and the right yep. resources for them to feel that they can draw on those to become energized. And so then what you do is what we've now done is we've driven some individual accountability around energy or well-being and organizational accountability. Mm. And today, there's no organizational accountability to enhance the well-being of people. And there is no individual accountability for individuals to feel that they should look after their well-being in people's work that they feel uh, they feel energized to kind of go out there and do the best work that they can for an organization. 
Yeah, that's why coming back to you know, uh, if you if you use this framework that I talk about around what is it that drives individual well-being, mm. it is physical, emotional, mental, and have you got purpose? Yeah. But that framework you can also apply at an organizational level. Mm. So you can overlay that framework and say, so what are you as an organization doing to enhance the physical, the emotional, the mental, and have you as an organization created a sense of purpose? Mm. And if you haven't, you need to, because it's part of enhancing the energy of your people in this organization. It's not the only thing, because people have also got to look after their mental health, their emotional health, and their physical health to be energized. But as an organization, you do need to begin to think about creating that sense of purpose. But you know, if you want to get these conversations going, the only way you start to get these conversations, these sorts of conversations going, is if it's part of the, of the performance management system. Mm. And, and I don't want it to be seen as a kind of a, you know, a stick that if you've got no energy, I'm going to fire you. Just like if you haven't got any skills and you went on the training course and you didn't improve, I'd fire you. I want to position this in a more developmental way, mm. which is kind of saying we're putting huge demands on people in workplaces today. But guess what? We recognize that. We know that energy is such an important driver of performance. And so we are now going to work with you and provide the resources for you to develop and to grow and to maintain your energy in this demanding environment that we're creating. And absolutely, purpose and organizational purpose is one part of that equation. But it's not the only. I've got to have an organization that, is, that has broken the stigma around mm. mental ill health. I've got an organization that recognizes the importance of enhancing the emotional health and giving resources to enhance people's emotional health. And I've got an organization which, for years, they've done it. They, they provide resources to enhance people's physical health. So let's go on a holiday around physical health now in organizations, mm. and let's focus on emotional, mental, and purpose. Thank you for listening to this Future Talent podcast. There are many more available to download on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating or comment. We look forward to bringing you another Future Talent podcast very soon.